0: Nikki Hoyne is an Irish businesswoman, serial entrepreneur and designer. After an international career in marketing, working with global household brands, Nikki launched her first business, My Shining Armor, in 2014. In 2020, Nikki launched the Nikki Hoyne Collection, a slow luxury accessories brand with bold, brightly colored shoes and bags at the core of her product offering. In this episode of Tech Powered Luxury, Nikki tells us how she does it all. Season 2 of Tech Powered Luxury is delighted to be sponsored by Solista Beauty, a multi-award winning beauty brand that combines cutting-edge technology with natural and high-tech ingredients to create products that are both effective and gentle on the skin. Focused on bringing the power of cryo-inspired beauty to the masses, Northern Irish entrepreneur Una McGurk teamed up with world-renowned South Korean dermatologists to create an at-home, salon-quality, authentic beauty brand that is at the forefront of innovation in the industry. The Tech Powered Luxury community enjoys a 15% discount when shopping at solistabeauty.com. Simply use the code TPL15 at checkout. Hello and welcome to Tech Powered Luxury. This is Ashley McDonnell, and I am delighted to be bringing you a story today with a beautiful balance of fashion, entrepreneurship, and of course, a luxury and digital first strategy. Nikki Hoyne has had a career that expands far beyond what I had expected to uncover, from various marketing roles in Ireland and the UK, to launching her first business, which was an e-retail company, so selling premium brands online to Irish customers. Nikki's first steps into business, though, started much earlier with business being really a part of her upbringing, so it's no surprise that Nikki turned to entrepreneurship herself. Now on her second business, Nikki Hoyne Collection, Nikki has certainly found her flow, And I first discovered Nikki in the early stages of launching her brand through Instagram in October 2020. So it was actually the month that she officially launched her brand online and where she's been telling her story with great honesty and transparency, letting her followers and customers see behind the scenes and even share their own feedback and ideas on upcoming product launches. With a slew of awards and nominations for the brand already in this early stages of development, Nikki Hoyne has become one of the most recognized shoe and bag brands in Ireland and has already started making international impact as she is available in Wolf and Badger in London, in New York, and she is available now on Sunset Boulevard as well in Los Angeles in Katarina Coin store. I'm so excited to have Nikki on Tech Powered Luxury today to share her story and showcase how she's overcome all of the challenges that she's been faced with to launch collection after collection, leveraging both a luxury strategy and a digital first approach. And lastly, being a champion of women in business along the way. We love to see it. Nikki, welcome to Tech Powered Luxury. I'm so excited to have you on for this week's episode of the podcast. You are a social media phenomenon when it comes to sharing your journey across all of your entrepreneurial endeavors. I've been following you for a long time <laughs> and I'm just so happy to have you here. So thank you.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm so honored to be on Tech Powered Luxury. I love it. Love it. Love it. I'm very excited to chat to you.
0: Well, you fit the bill in every sense because you built a luxury brand. You have a digital first way of doing everything, whether it's creating community, actually selling your product. And previously, which we'll talk about later as well, you know, you worked in the e-commerce and e-retail space, actually creating your own marketplace. So I have so many questions to ask you, but I want to start with the one that everyone gets asked: who are you and what led you to where you are today?
1: I am Nikki Hoyne. I'm from Kilkenny. I live in London at the moment. Um, and I am a little girl from Kilkenny who always loved fashion. And I have my own footwear uh, and handbag brand called Nicky Hoyne. Um, I want people, it's a slow fashion brand. So I love to find things and keep them forever. And, you know, I have pieces from the 90s and the noughties. when I was a little fashion girl from the high street that last uh, you know, but I think we got lost somewhere in fashion in the late noughties and tens, whatever you call them. You know, in the last 20 years, things have gotten lost and you can't find things that last forever. You can, but they're, you know, either very expensive or it's mm. rare. And I just wanted to create a product that I want people to be excited about something and find it special and keep it and celebrate it and not just like consume it throw it away i couldn't agree more, I have pieces actually as well that
0: i've mm-hmm. had from from the high street uh, for years, but it wasn't fast fashion back then, actually. it was still pretty slow, yeah <laughs> um, but now it's become cheaper, which is crazy when you think of inflation and how yeah. much you know more it should actually cost, and the quality obviously is is what has gone of the garment but also of the the quality of life of the people who are yeah. making products in fast fashion so that none of that is what you're about you're about doing the opposite actually and you have very consciously created a brand that is slower Mm -hmm. in terms of your production but also your entire process it's so thought out and I can't wait to ask you more about your process but first I want you to tell me about your educational journey that brought you to where you are today.
1: So in a nutshell, I, my mom and dad very much are responsible for me. I don't take any credit. So, you know, my mom is super positive and always kind of brainwashed me with positivity and was always like, everything's going to turn out. All right, Nick, you're going to land on your feet. Everything's going to be fine. So that was my attitude to life. You know, everything's going to be fine. And my dad, very hardworking, entrepreneurial. I'm a chip off the old block and very like him. So that combination, I was in school, like all I wanted to do was have the crack. I was in boarding school. Like people think boarding school. I loved it. Lived with my friends, no parents, having the crack, you know, and that I didn't. I was a smart (laughs) kid. I was interested, but I did not study. And I did um, mediocre uh, end of year exams. And I, you know, was applying for uni in Dublin and Cork, like arts and commerce and that kind of, you know, very general because I had no idea what I wanted to do. And I didn't get into any of them, but I'd always loved theatre because it's playing and messing and having fun. So I actually went and studied theatre for three years after school. Wow. I did not know that people don't know this, and this is I. Like, people are like you are so good on uh, Instagram, Nick, and I'm like, well, I have three years acting training. You know, used to doing on the spot, um whatever it's called, st- not stand up, but you know, like improvisation, improvisation, that's sort of presenting, you used to improv. Yeah. You used to do a um, lot of that. Yeah, learning to think quickly and to tell stories and to create a kind of I suppose magic you know and I did that for three years but by the end of it you know like the acting world for me I love theater but there was a lot of like not politics but like nepotism and favoritism and the loudest person you know and this is our actors and you know the loudest person got the most attention that kind of stuff so by the end of it I was like I love shoes and handbags and clothes. And I am not going to make any money doing this because I am just here for the fun. So I decided then to reapply. You know, I was 21, 22, and I re—I applied for college to go and study. And what's after kind of the theater bit was business, which my whole life, you know, I grew up, I had my first job when I was three years old Didn't get paid for it. My brother and I used to put pipes together for my dad. Like, so if you think of Ikea packs now, those screws and raw plugs and stuff like that, we used to do stuff like that for his, we'd make hundreds of them and eventually we'd get paid like a penny a bag. (laughs) <laughs> but, um, that's kind of how the entrepreneurial journey's started. Zimmer, you. how <laughs> back in the day, that's what we used to do, so I always had that work ethic and understanding what things were and seeing him work, and you know I think that was very much ing- if you want something, you have to work for it. so I realized that if I want nice things and I love nice things. I needed to get a job that could pay me to afford a nice thing. So I went and I studied business in IADT. It was a brand new course. The points were very low. So I got in and I had the best crack. Like I was there for four years for For a kid who was a D student in school. I aced it, yeah. top of the class, all A's, you know, won all these awards uh, for, you know, being, it's so funny. My school friends were like, you what? I am like, I know. I'm like a nerd, but uh, I, I just really enjoyed it. And I got it like all the business stuff. I was like, this is really easy. This makes sense. You know, and it was That's where you needed to be. Yeah. As an I, if I'd have gone to a uni, I always kind of say, if you live your life backwards, it would all make perfect sense. If I'd gone to uni, I'd have failed and it would have knocked my confidence. And I would have thought this is not for me. You know, education is just not for me. But I think I had that mess and got it out of my system, took the time and went and was interested and a bit more mature and understood like, and I got such a buzz out of getting A's. I was like, this is so like deadly. I was a real little geek, but I also had a great time. Like I think I had the balance of, I had great fun. We had a great class. We were all like the people who didn't get into commerce. Like we were a whole class of those people because it was such a new <laughs> course. But IADT was brilliant. And the difference between a uni and an IT, like it was very practical, which suited me. It was projects. We do like mm-hmm. business plans and companies, and then i went so traveled a lot in college for 7 years in the boom times in ireland like i traveled a lot traveled the world in the summers and I went to London for a summer. My my final year, I was a bit like, oh my god, I'm so old. I was like 24 or something. And I was like, I'm so old. I need, like all my friends from school were very much ahead. You know, they were all like managers now and they were progressing through their career. And here I was like party girl. So I went and I worked kind of friend of the family had a marketing agency in London and my mom kind of was like, look, we'll get you a job. I was like, I'd gone to London for a week. I was like, oh my God, I love this place. I want to, I want to come here for the summer. Yeah. So I went and they were a field marketing agency and I worked in the events department as like admin, like, you know, just yeah, totally doing, <laughs> yeah. But I'd done stuff like that, like all the time. And I had this quite practical business degree behind me, but also like I'd been working in my dad's company and at different jobs since I was little, like I've had all sorts of jobs. Mm. I used to do two weeks of filing on on midterm or something or in the summer. And I'd sit in a little room filing alphabetically. So the mundane jobs I didn't mind and I just got on with it. So I went and I worked there and they worked with brands, they're called Reach now, but they were a marketing, field marketing agency. Now, this was before the days of social media. This was when you handed out chocolate bars at traffic lights to sample, or you had like executing like huge initiatives. We used to work with Nintendo, Sony, Nestle, chocolate bars, like they had huge clients across the UK and I used to do the kind of data analysis and stuff like that, and pull reports out and things like that. But you know, it was just to see how these brands worked and the importance of like a chocolate bar being positioned correctly. You know, and we used to do we used to in store we used to teach people how to play Nintendo games. You couldn't look it up on YouTube. Like it was all before before social media and and the digital world. <laughs> so I did that for a summer, came home, did my final year, and then I literally looked up in May like field marketing in Ireland. And there's a company in Dundrum called Field Marketing Ireland. They had a job, went, did that, interviewed, got the job. I loved it. Like my best, Libby Keeling, shout out to Libby, (laughs) my best manager I ever had. She really taught me a lot in a very, because I left after 10 months, I got poached by the English company to run the Irish team remotely. Okay, So it was all that kind of like, we were putting, you know, sampling products in, universities and on the street and in-store demonstrations all of that and I learned how brands communicated you know you wouldn't do the red of coca-cola as a different red you know like a dark red or something like I learned the importance of Cadbury's purple has to be the right Pantone and how brands speak to each other and positioning and and like the importance of like a can of a Diageo premix. I worked on premix for Diageo, like the distribution of those in the UK. And it was important that it was facing the right way on the shelf and that it was on a level and all of these things of like how the human brain works in a retail environment. I see that as actually
0: being a concrete element of your education and you can't learn those things in the classroom. You actually Mm. have to go out there and get the feedback, try, fail. Mm. As you said, have super managers, sometimes as well, the bad managers, you can learn a lot from them as well on how to lead or how you would prefer to be. (laughs) There's learnings everywhere. Um, Looking back, how did you manage to have the confidence to take that first leap into that role that you went into in Dublin? Because I think a lot of people when they study business afterwards, they think, well, maybe I could teach business or, you know, maybe I'll I'll start with a grad program, but you went straight in with a full-time role. And I know in Ireland in particular, internships are not a big thing throughout the undergraduate. So Mm. how would you recommend for people to at least position themselves to just go for those positions even if they haven't finished their studies yet
1: yeah I went but I went in on like admit like the the people who were also interviewing were other and there was a guy who started around the same I think two weeks after me and he'd gone for the job I got and then another job came up he was university trained versus I was IT trained and the difference in the practical skills like I could use excel I could write a presentation but I think I just, in my head, I was very comfortable in an office environment. I was very keen to get working. I just, I traveled an awful lot through college. I'd done college <laughs> for seven yeah. years, you know. Like You'd I'd have your
0: j- journey. <laughs> I could be yeah. a doctor.
1: Yeah, I kind of had done that. And it's funny when I look at 20 year olds now and they're like 21, 22, and they're, they're feeling this pressure that they have to be like the best, most successful person. I'm like, I spent my 20s exploring who I was and the world and you know it was a different time it was the noughties and there was a lot of money in the world it was a good economic you know period and also like we didn't have mobile phones like I think we did actually sorry we had like lit flip phones and the like. But I just think young people have such, they live in a different world today and money is such a huge part of it. Whereas, you know, back then i could go out 20 euro and come home with change, you know. A little
0: bit difficult to do that now.
1: Yeah, it's ve- it was a very different time and things cost less. And like, I always think I wish I'd gone to uni abroad and I wish I'd done a year Erasmus. Ra- but uh, I also was just having a good time. I wasn't plotting out a career. And I think that's very much how I've gotten to where I am is it actually just has all made sense and I just, I was always had a great work ethic and always put my head down. And, and, and when I was in that field marketing agency in Dublin, I worked my, the day I left, my, my, my leaving do had started and I was still in the office, like finishing <laughs> off whatever was going on. Like, oh, you're preparing I never yourself had,
0: for entrepreneurship. <laughs> yeah.
1: And I see, I see Libby now and you know, and she's like, Oh my God, I'm like, I'm not like that anymore. Like I was a machine. I could do a spreadsheet. Like I was just a machine. Like I had this crazy work ethic like I was so felt so far behind my friends that I just wanted to get ahead and then when this role came up was a management role it was remote and Libby said to me she's like Nikki I don't think this is the right thing for you to do to leave Like I don't have any regrets, but (laughs) I hated it. Like I was working from home on my own. I'm such a people person, and that's probably the biggest thing now. Is I find I still have an element of remoteness and that entrepreneurship. It's so lonely. Like it's it's such a you know. I'd love to have a co-founder, but I would never have a co-founder because I could never work on my magical dream with someone else because it's my magical dream and I see it one way. But well,
0: Nikki, if I take it back a couple of steps, so. You actually had many steps in your career. Really interesting to hear that you also went in a very creative path. And I think everything that you learned when you were um, in acting school and theater school actually feeds directly into your ability to tell stories today, which is really key as a luxury brand. Mm. Then you were in international business, you were in field management, you had multiple FMCG brands, big global household names, as you've just heard. You actually had three years yes. within the luxury beauty space as account managers uh-huh. and whatnot. But then yeah. you launched your first business, or at least the first one that I'm aware of. So, my shining armor. Yes. Can you tell <laughs> me more about my shining army, armor army? <laughs> um, that journey and what led you to ultimately deciding? Actually, now is the time. So, I think I believe it was in 2020 to launch your own yeah. brand rather than sell other people's brands.
1: So I launched my Shining Armor in 2014. I had come back from London. So I'd been in London, worked yeah, in-house. In the, so I went from the agencies. I wanted to get into brand, went in and worked in beauty brands and learned so much. Like on a sales team, you're exposed to everything. I'd accidentally gone to London for six months and not gone home for nearly four years. So I decided, right, I want to go abroad. I wanted to go to New York or LA or Singapore, or I wanted to go long haul with a visa for a couple of years. And I came, home to, I came home to Ireland to try and figure it out. And I started working with my dad and they were building the business in France. So I was kind of heading up France for them without no clue what I was doing. Like I had managed, you know, account management experience, but I hated it. Day one, I was like, oh my God, I cannot get passionate about showers. I, I just <laughs> no way. And around then it was 2013 and it was just as Instagram kicked off. I remember Lauren Conrad getting 50 likes on a photo and that being huge. It was very early days of Instagram. Yeah. And I remember just seeing these like Blair E.D. and Sincerely Jewels, like the first bloggers. The original. Amy Song. Mm -hmm. And they'd be wearing like a necklace or bracelet. And I'd be like, oh my God, I love that. Being a fashion accessories girl. Oh my God, I love it. And I'd look and I'd see and it was just this girl at home in her bedroom, and she had these products, and she was selling them. And I was like, "I can do that, and I can do it way better." and um, so I launched my Shining Armor, which was like a statement jewelry brand. I did ex- I sourced products, and I built my own website. And you know, the thing is, is I wouldn't have been able to do that ten years previously. You know, if you look, I was living, I wasn't in a digital world, and suddenly here came digital, and it was everything just for me clicked into place. Yeah. And I was just like this, I can do this 10 times better and I can do it. And I, so I quit my family job and I just went for it. And I think I really rolled that early Instagram wave of you post a photo, you sell out. It was so innovative. It was so new. I remember people saying to me, it's like, it's nine years ago on the 4th of April, when I launched and people said, who is going to buy jewelry on the internet? <laughs> like, and look, you know, it exploded. 2016 was unbelievable. Like it was just crazy. But by 2018, it was an easy thing to do. And suddenly I had, you know, it. It. I suppose what I learned was I didn't have a plan and it took me on a wild ride I can as imagine. opposed to, I just went with what the customers wanted and what the feedback. And I just, I just built this shop and it was, it had started out as a brand where, you know, I would eventually hope to design my own product. It it turned into a shop and I did design some products, but it got lost in the messaging. And my shedding armor was a moment and it was just incredible. And I learned, it was like going back to college again of like e-commerce and it was amazing. But by 2018, it was replicated, it was copied, it was copied very badly. And I was a bit like, oh my God, I'm an online store. I was a bit embarrassed by a small independent, you know, and it was I was just thrown in with all these people who were doing like an awful job. <laughs> and I was like, but I was premium. And it just, I came to the point where I wasn't excited about it anymore. Um, and I I just wanted to, I, I sat down with Jenny Taff, who's passed away sadly, but she was an incredible marketeer in Dublin. And a real like the thing about marketing is it's all about human behavior and it's all about people. And digital is all about human behavior and all about people. And she pointed out to me, she's like, if you want to do your own products, like I was like, I want to do my own shoes. She was like, you can't do it under my shining armor. Like it just it's a shop. No department store is going to buy a brand that's a shop. She's like, if you want to do your own products, you're going to have to start. And I just felt like, yeah, I want to draw a line under my shining armor and I want to move on and do my own brand. And so I started in 2018 and I was working away at it. And then in 2020, when COVID hit, I kept getting sucked into other things. I had a podcast back I remember, then. I just I had so much going it. <laughs> on. It was traveling. The Hero Podcast. Yeah, um, it was great. But and I learned and I just had learned I was learning and just absorbing and doing different things and trying different things, which is what I would say for anyone. Like if you don't know what you want to do or if you want to learn anything, just do lots of things. You just learn loads. Um, but I then covid hit and i went right i can be working on this business that i really just lost enthusiasm for i can put my head down and let's do this let's do it for these few covid weeks here in march 2020 mm-hmm. <laughs> and i launched in october when it's all over but uh, i launched in october 2020 the nicky Hoyne collection with six handbags the shoes came in the april time and by the summer i was in brand thomas like on oh, Believable. It has been too two and a half years nearly of just the wildest adventure. Like it's crazy, but so exciting. And I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm figuring it out. (laughs) Well,
0: from the outside, it looks like the common theme for me across everything that you've done, Nikki, is that you just have the crack. You're having fun. You're just enjoying yourself. Yeah. And you're trusting your gut as well. And sometimes, like you said, you've been told, yeah, that's not the path you should go down or that doesn't make sense. But sometimes you need to try those things for yourself and you need to just do it and test Mm. it out. And I say that to people as well, like, You can get all the advice you want from people, um, but maybe they're just not telling you what you want to hear and you need to go and pursue that avenue for whatever reason. And it's really refreshing to hear from you as well, that even sometimes when you're given advice to Mm -hmm. not do something or to do something, you have to learn yourself. Tech-powered luxury sponsor Solista Beauty is best known for their award-winning cult favorite instant facials. Solista Beauty have evolved their initial lineup offering a targeted selection of products Catering from hair care through to face, hands, feet and body for a holistic approach to wellness. As the global leader in cryo-powered beauty, Solista harnesses the incredible power of cryo since inception. Recently picking up the highly coveted Global Award at Cosmoprof Worldwide 2023 for the newly launched Solista Cryo Cool Skin Tool. The tech-powered luxury community enjoys a 15% discount when shopping at solistabeauty.com. Use the code TPL15 at checkout. Nikki, you launched at first with bags only. Am I correct? Mm -hmm. So, because I've been following you for a long time now. I'm like, I can't remember when the shoes came, Mm -hmm. but I remember being so excited. (laughs) So definitely you had bags first. Why did you start with bags and why did you then bring shoes as your second product category?
1: Well, actually I started with shoes, but it is faster to design and produce handbags. So the shoes are just more technical, takes longer and it was locked down. It was full-on lockdown. My factory opened and closed. My bag factory did as well, but the factories opened and closed that year of 2020 a lot. Uh, And then they all go on holidays for the month of August. So it was just slower. I was trying to get it right. You know, I started with one shoe and people often say to me, like, it's so strange. You just have a, you know, you don't have a lot of styles. And I'm like, but I have no like formal design experience. I figured it out for myself. And I'm a footwear designer who I have done some courses and I've been really fortunate to have some really great mentors and people I've learned from who are very, very knowledgeable and very, uh, formally educated in the footwear in footwear design but um I've just been figuring it out for myself so I've taken it slow I started with one style and I just went from there it's just very slow and steady but fast (laughs) from (laughs) from the
0: outside perspective (laughs) um, what I have seen as a customer of yours is the engagement that you have with your customer base Are future customer base even, because it's anyone who follows you on Instagram, um, as an entrepreneur or who follows your brand pages, but also your newsletter subscribers. Could you talk me through why Mm. did you make a conscious decision to document your journey and bring people along the way? And what
1: impact has that had on your business? I think, um, with my sharing, why I put my name on my brand was that, I love working and I really immerse myself in it. And I found with My Shining Armor that I had to put on sometimes the My Shining Armor hat. And it was always me just telling my story. But it came to a point where it was more than me and bigger than me. And people Mm. just wanted to see product. So like four, three years ago, people didn't know my surname. I was Nikki for My Shining Armor. And I was very happy with that. And I was like, fine, (laughs) you know, like I didn't. It wasn't really, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't about me. And I just was like. I, I, I suppose what I learned was that there's so much power in a personal brand and yes. that if I want to work the amount I work, I am being very authentic and myself anyway. I think I am just me. Like, I, I you know, people can, well, no one ever does. But if someone said to me, oh my God, you're making that up just to sell stuff. I'd be like, you can't accuse me of that <laughs> because I'm always yeah. honest. So I'm never really pulling the wool over anyone. Like I, I if someone says that to you, I'm like, how am I lying? You know, it, it's. I just feel for me. It just for me. I just want it to be a real like. My story is great and it's fun and exciting and I'm really enjoying it. So why be be trying to create something different when I could just get on and be myself and do it myself? It just feels like it's less work to be myself than to be and. And even, you know, I, when it comes to email or even the, the did like I do have a social media girl who works at me and she's just brilliant at video and I don't have that skill and that kind of time. And she puts together reels and she does video and she comes up with these ideas and I record stuff for her and she schedules it all, but it's very much still my story. And it took me nine years, eight years to find someone who could do social as well as I could and who could add on to my story and creative in the, in, in the most authentic way. I've had people come in now and again over the years and like, absolutely not. No one could ever do it better than me, but she, she, she complements what I, my vision and what I'm, what I'm doing and my creative. I think what you've mentioned there is something
0: that every independent designer that I speak with has that same issue. They're like, I want to get rid of posting, daily or weekly or whatever it is on my socials i don't want to be doing that anymore i want to hand that over to somebody else and you're someone who is very much a, a digital native and has been using you know social media since it came out but i know for designers from um different generations they're not doing it well themselves and they don't know how to outsource it and it's a really really big challenge so at what point are you able to really say, right, I need to either upskill myself or at least know enough to be able to guide somebody else? What recommendations would you have to people? On, now that you've actually made that step, how would you recommend free books? I know it's a huge pain point for so many people.
1: I think I just had to find Cloda. It's funny because Cloda's name was mentioned to me. She's young, like she's like 26, I think. So she's that different, she's total digital yeah. world. Like that's her whole <laughs> thing. It's her career and what she's always wanted to do. But she has been, oh, she just takes the pressure off. I love her. Don't so <laughs> ever leave me. <laughs> she, but she just knows the industry and the world very well. And so I love better. She can challenge me. And I don't let a lot of people challenge me. And she can challenge me and be right. You know, she'd be like, I think you should do this. And I'm like, mm, OK. <laughs> whereas, or she'd tell me what to do. You know, whereas most people, I won't let tell me what to do. But I think her name had been mentioned to me, I would say, five or, four or five years ago. Um, Jenny McGinn said her name in passing and how great she was and I feel like it was just one of these magical moments it was about this time last year um, and she connected with me on LinkedIn and I was that week I was like this is a week I am going to start this it's going to take me ages let's get my head down and find someone and that week she connected me on LinkedIn and I was like (laughs) hello Cloda. Oh my god, you manifested Um, your name has been mentioned to me. (laughs) Each other. Yeah, like oh totally, like but it it was just a timing. She's very into that. Like, and I believe in timing. And she was like, Nikki, I'm just about to go and do my start my own agency and take on people myself. I was like, oh my God, let's meet. And met her, and we were just completely on the same page. And you know, but I've done that with other people and it hasn't worked out. And I think the thing about digital is it's so hard to find great people. And she'd worked in agency for years and she was doing her own thing. And there's an awful lot of bad people out there. Like I've come across so many people. I've spoken with people who were like, I don't. Oh, yeah. And they and within the conversation, they tell you they don't know what certain features yeah. are of Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I just think I did I get lucky or did I hang in for the perfect person or did I really know what I wanted? I knew I needed someone and she, she also was, she knew what she was doing and she sent me, I said, look, I'd I'd love to talk to you. She sent me over a proposal. She'd done her research on my business. She put together something and she put together like examples. She pulled this whole, like, these are all the types of reels I think you should do. And they were all the types of reels that I wanted to do. And it just it she pitched me and I pitched her and it just worked. It's aligning brand vision and then
0: obviously when it comes to social media, there are real technical skills that are there, but also it's very much about what's going to bring emotion. It's not just, I'm going to post a pack shot or post a visual. You've got the captions. You need to have the hook. You need to bring as much video into it as possible these days. Like you said, she was pitching reels before you were maybe even creating them. And when it comes to digital, this is what I tell anyone, no matter, even for myself, if you're hiring somebody, hire someone that's better than you at whatever it is you're hiring them for. That's so important. They need to actually be a
1: step ahead. And she had the experience. She had the experience and she was able to pitch me like and go, this is what you should be doing. It wasn't like, you know, tell me what you need from me she told me what what I needed Um, we need more Clodas in the world we do uh,
0: is she available for um, more work I don't know if she has her she does her own stuff as
1: well you see she does her own stuff and I have I'm speaking to her later today but she does her own stuff but I'm her kind of I'm her anchor client and then she does projects and stuff so that's great because it works for both of us and we're very honest and it's like don't ever leave me and she's like don't ever fire (laughs) me and you know or it just it works you know and it really and she's also very works remotely and moves around and travels a lot like we're perfect together because I'm like don't I don't won't, don't want to sit in an office beside me. You know I'm like you. Yeah, I need dream collaboration. Sell. Yeah, in that case. yeah, yeah, works really well.
0: So, Nikki, you've mentioned already. Yes, social media are really key for you. Um, you had your own e-retail business, mm-hmm. and now Nikki Hoyne Collection is, of course, a direct-to-consumer brand in the sense mm-hmm. that you have your website. But you're also present in multiple retail spaces and on other uh, retail websites. So could you tell me a little bit about your distribution today, how that works and how you work differently on the direct to consumer versus, I guess, e-wholesale and e-retail?
1: I think the thing as a footwear brand people want to try on. And I also think that I think when digital came along and that whole social media and e-commerce, it was very intense, you know, like you could post a photo and sell it. And, and there was a lot of that, but I think there's also comes back to, it was very intense. And now there's a bit of fatigue with that as in people want to experience your brand in person and you can still do that in a digital way. Like as in, I say digital way as in, so I did a pop-up in Kildare village, which is a Bister Group last summer and we use social media, Some, uh, social media and digital drove people to that store. Mm. We were able to communicate with people ongoingly, digitally, but we were in store and they could come in and walk into the experience of the brand. And I was there every day and they could try on, I think for footwear, it's really important for people to try on. Um, I, I don't have any like ongoing stockists. I come in and out of places, which I think it's that limit, it comes back to the limited edition kind ofness of it. And I have a small brand, small quantities, and therefore it just works to come, to go in somewhere and come out again. Like, in, I would love to be stocked ongoingly in different places, but I think retail is hard. There's margins to consider and, you know, money, you know, like you've got to, it's beneficial, but it also takes a huge cut of your margin. So.
0: Absolutely. At some point, If you're selling a product through wholesale, through retailers, you Mm -hmm. have to really make the decision. Do I have, first of all, the resources, um, not just the capital, but also the technical resources to be able to launch a successful direct consumer online brand? Because yes, you don't have to give away the margin to the retailer, but you've got a whole lot of other work to do to attract people to your brand, to your website, to help them discover it. You do not have any automatic footfall. Um, whether that's physical footfall or online um, views and impressions and visits and whatnot you have to invest so how do you make sure that you're able to have a strong strategy for both and do you have an always-on approach when it comes to your own website does that change season to season and collection to collection what is kind of the kind of the brains behind that at the moment for you
1: Gosh, I don't think I know what I'm doing. I don't, I feel like my strategy is just very much. It's okay to admit that. <laughs> it's very much like, you know, I launched my most recent collection and the pink shoe, the pink shoe that everyone is talking about. Yes. Sold out in the day. And I think. I think there's an element. I tried loads of different things. Like when I launched last year, we actually were delayed like 2022, like shipping delays, Ukraine, all of this was just so many factors. But we launched in May and I actually did pre-order for a month with a 10% off because... I literally, it, it, I tried somebody. So I did that. This year, we launched on the 1st of March, like a bit earlier than we probably needed to. But I wanted to be able to replan in case, but in May, couldn't replan. I'm just trying to figure it all out. I do I have a str- I have a strategy of like, tell the stories and I definitely create an excitement and a buzz because I'm excited and I'm buzzed. And, you know, I drop two and a half collections a year, I say, because in the summer I can do a limited edition collection, but there's two collections a year and then there's Christmas and that's my big bang time. So I need to make a big bang. And I think last year everything was delayed, never had time for replan. Things sold out or things went really well and I didn't get to to jump on that. And you know, whereas now Pink Shoe, oh my God, get loads of them, but it's eight weeks. It's slow fashion. They're all handmade her, in Spain. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're all handmade in the pink Spain. Pink shoe went viral. I it's do you know what? And that's so exciting, but that was out of nowhere for me. Like, I and this is the learning of like, I kind of need to show people things. And it's to come back, you yes, asked about my email. Like, that's I use my email and I kind of built this community on my email where I show them things and the secret. And I suppose that email, if everyone on my email list bought a pair of shoes every year, that's me good. I've hit my numbers, I've hit my targets. I love that, Nikki. That is something that. I don't hear enough of
0: if yeah. one person in your email mm-hmm. list bought one item for you well if ha- year, actually if half of them i'd be good if half of them bought like it's going <sighs> quite quickly yeah and that is why the d to c side of things is so key having that relationship having that feedback loop showing them things giving them you know maybe it doesn't have to be a discount especially in the luxury world we don't like to discount but gift with purchase. I see you doing that all the time. Pouches, exclusive gifts, you know, something to entice people to shop directly from you and to give you that feedback. And you're so good at it. I mean, I'm hooked on your emails. (laughs) And I
1: learned that. I learned that. I think if I look back, you know, on the fragrance. So when I worked in fragrance, we dropped every six weeks, we dropped new fragrances. Like that was the machine of, you know, you work in fragrance, that was the machine. Um, and I worked on Boots Selfridge's House of Fraser, and it was all about that bang of that first week. And I'm sure that's where I learned that. I learned about gift to purchase. I learned about creating the buzz, and you know, like whether it was Mark Jacobs, and we just have like the Mark Jacobs the day, whether it's Daisy or it was Dot, Like it was just building that brand. And I think I really learned about launches because we launched again and again and again and again, and it was always a launch in the works, and it built up and. Maybe I have a strategy and I know what I'm doing, but I think I'm, I'm as a consumer, as a luxury consumer, and very engaged in the wow and the magic and creating that magic and telling the story and kind of drip feeding things. And before I launched the shoes, like I had no idea, but I had them hidden in behind me in social media all the time. <laughs> it's just laugh. And when I launched them, I went back and I was like, see this photo, look at the shoes, see this photo, look at the shoes there and like things will be yeah. hidden or, you know, and I don't do it as much now. Um, but today I've sent an email going, here's some samples, like, what do you think? And then I have a poll on Instagram going, hey, email subscribers, which color, you know, so the, the, yeah. the someone is not on my email list. But the thing about people on an email list and what why I love my email list, it's kind of like a chat because... I I am not strategically trying to... Maybe three times a year, if this is strategic. Well, I'm always trying to sell something. Like the goal is to sell my (laughs) shoes. But at the same time, I hate those email newsletters. Buy this, three ways to wear, you know, sale, whatever. That's just always trying to hook me in, sell, sell, sell. But I, this... I just said, I hate those. And my open rate is over 60%. My click rate is over 20%. What? Okay, that's the highest click through rate I've ever heard. Yeah. And it's
0: not just 10 people and six of them are family members, right? You can no. confirm that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but this is the thing, it's funny. I worked with the email guys last summer um, and they were trying to get me to do all. And I was like, no like, no, they were actually, they were ads guys and they did email as well. And they were like pitching yeah. me. And I was like, no, I was like, I have a 60% open rate. You're not taking that away from me. And I'm like, yeah. I don't need it to be hundred hundred thousand signups. I, you know, let it be a couple of thousand. Well, it's more than a couple of thousand, but you know, like it doesn't need to be hundreds of thousands. I, I just, I want to connect with people. And if someone has said, I want to, I want to be on your email list like bring them, tell them a story and bring them on a journey. And I have my little PSs and I'm just like, oh my God, I can't wait for succession. Or, oh my God, I read this book. Or, oh my God, the new episode of Tech Powered Luggerjury with Ethan McMaster is (laughs) great. You know, that kind of thing. It's all like, it's just all little, it's personal and it's my story. And I can be like, I, I tell them things and it's secrets because who doesn't want the inner circle of like, it's a personal email for me. It Today's Wednesday, it goes out on a Wednesday. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, for anyone listening,
0: even if you're not in market for a pair of beautiful luxury shoes mm-hmm. from Nikki today, I would say just to get this masterclass on email marketing, sign up because mm-hmm. the way that you do it is really something unique. It's it remains luxury, but because you are the founder, you're the owner, and you're alive, <laughs> like mm-hmm. a lot of these major luxury brands yeah. that we buy from today, the founders are not alive. You cannot have a direct conversation with them, but you do, and you even reply to people's replies. Yeah. And that's the next thing I wanted to ask you about. Because <laughs> I know it's something you put a massive amount of time into, probably more than you want to at times. Um, but I imagine that there are nuggets of information and feedback and things that make it worth the time. So can you tell me a little bit about how you have this? Um, direct channel of communication with many of your followers and customers and community.
1: I just feel like if someone's going to buy my shoes, which for, is always amazing that someone will buy my shoes, like if they're going to reply to me, if, if I've emailed them a personal email, I'm going to talk to them, you know, and 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 I think the bigger it's growing, I definitely there'll be a point where I don't get as many responses as I used to get. I don't know why, but uh, I just think that person Want like it's talking? I don't know. I don't know. I don't. It's just respectful. I've sent a personal email. It's not a. It's a strategy, but it's a strategy of let. If I'm going to send you an email, it's going to be nice, and we're going to have a chat. I'm not going to send you some templated. Yeah. Sell, sell, sell. And I do want people to buy my shoes. My whole goal is I want people to buy my shoes. If they buy my shoes, I get to design more shoes. I get to do big, crazy, wild things that are uh-huh. really magic and beyond my dreams and that's what I'm here for but I want to have fun and I'm like you know what if I can brighten up your Wednesday morning and I can show you some samples and you can be just as exciting yes who doesn't want to see samples or who doesn't want to I don't know like hear about something I did or the, you know the funny uh like some funny story or I try and be as real I just think it's th- that story and what's funny is is to hear you say that oh my god and as a strategy. And I'm here just going, I'm just really trying, I'm trying so hard not to sell shoes. (laughs) (laughs) And
0: again, it's the anti-marketing of of luxury. You're not selling shoes, actually, you're selling a community and brand DNA and Mm -hmm. values and also fun like for me from this conversation it's the biggest thing I've taken away from it is you're keeping things fun and fresh and um, agile as much as you can when you're building a slow and sustainable fashion brand so that brings me to the kind of next thing that I wanted to ask you about how do you manage inventory so stock I know that on your Instagram today, for example, a couple of shoes that I was looking for, the pink ones that went viral, for example, they're out of stock, but you've put a little graphic on the image. So it's super clear out of stock and you even put when the restock is going to be. Mm. So again, I don't see other brands doing that because maybe the founder is not the one at the helm of Mm. design, storytelling and e-commerce and everything. So that's one of the big advantages when you're the kind of woman behind the entire show. How are you managing to keep on top of what people really want to buy and then restocking the things that there's a huge demand for that maybe you you didn't anticipate.
1: I think that was the biggest lesson. Well, number one, why the roundel is on the product is like, because I my goal, my goal is to not annoy people. Like you want to go on the website and like, oh, they're out of stock. When are they back? Yes. And it's written on it. But why it's do written, all brands not do this before I go through the whole process? Yeah, just like, tell me on the just, image
0: already. I can pre-order.
1: <laughs> don't know. And, and it literally, it says, I think it's like they're back in late April, but it also says sign up here so again it's back to that getting people on the email and it's like come on have the crack have the mm-hmm. chats but I think I just I think it's the cold goal and maybe it's from thinking about human I think it's all human behavior like just don't annoy people like it's annoying <laughs> when you go on a website and something's sold out or you get an ad on Instagram like the other day there was this cool dress I was like oh my god it go in sold out
0: yeah like why is there also an ad a waste of their out, ad you know? budget as well?
1: Yeah. Uh, saying that now, we do ads on our gold shoes. The guys say it works really well, but the gold shoes sold out before Christmas. So back to kind of inventory. Sorry. So we did, we do an ad. There's an, there was an ad running, but the impressions was one per person. So it was actually just reaching new people. Yeah. And on the new launch, um, I've got new ads guys. They're so great. Oh my God. I love them. And they, they just have a re really, again, great guys. I work really closely with them. We're, yeah. you know, and I think it's about finding excellent people. They're excellent. And the proof is in the pudding with ads. Like the data is just like, you know, ROAS 9, 10, 20, 30. Fantastic. But what they've done and the biggest learning on this whole pink, pink shoe one day sellout. Was I too protective of showing people what was coming when it comes to infantry? Like it's just, it really is like, if I had shown that, sh- I didn't want to give it away. I suppose on the one hand, I wanted the big bang of the launch, mm. but if I had at least shown that, if I would have shown that to you, you'd have been like, Oh my God, Nikki, I love it. I would have pre-ordered I, yeah. <laughs> and not been in this situation now where I don't have these shoes. <laughs> and I think, I think, I suppose before cri- last year, I learned everything was so late. It was like 2023. I've got, Autumn, winter, put to bed. Spring, summer was put to bed. Late last year, I was good to go. I ordered my stock in January and I'd ordered stock based on how we had sold during the year of 2022, which was one and a half years in business. Yeah. I suppose things have grown. You know, my Instagram has grown 40% since Christmas. It's
0: Christmas this year.
1: Probably by the time this goes out, it'll be like 50 or 60% since Christmas. And that is based on great ads, great product, great storytelling. You know, Claude is nailing it. The guy, the ads guys are nailing it. The digital strategy. We're just on it because... It's all coming together. It is. But I then, after everything getting so delayed last year, like we launched, sorry, Back to the Gold Shoe launched and sold out in, I think, four days. And it was December. There was no getting them restocked. I have an eight to 10 week lead time. We're slow fashion, handmade in Spain. There was no chance of getting them. So I just was like, well, the next launch. And then we had the same about quantity. And I just should have shown them to more people and understood that these pink shoes, all of the bows have sold amazingly well. There's only a handful of them left. Like There's four (laughs) colors. But I suppose that was the lesson. And then The lesson in that is today I sent an email showing samples that are potentially limited edition going, what do you think? Because, you know, (laughs) just because I love something, my autumn winter collection, I've actually shown that to more people as well. And the, the colorway I thought would be most popular in the bow is actually not the colorway that's getting the most love. It's a different colorway. And it comes back to, okay, Nick, you need to up your quantities and you need to be sure that you've got enough for this. And I just need to show them to people. And I don't think you'll ever get inventory right. But the lesson is in not being so secretive. You know, you want a big bang, but I should have shown more.
0: I think as an independent designer, you know, you're not part of a major group. You're not having to answer to many different layers of directors, investors and whatnot, you can make the call on those things and you don't have to worry as much as being, you know, super secretive, especially when it's in a more closed environment newsletter. It is your community. Of course, there could be people that are, you know, signed up and maybe they're a competitor or whatnot, but it's not like you're putting it out there for the whole world to see and say, here, this is my whole plan for the year, go and copy it. And Mm -hmm. it wouldn't be genuine if somebody went and copied them anyways, because you do have your aesthetic, you have your the DNA of your brand. And I know it's hard for designers to find balance between I want to get feedback and I want to share the story versus I don't want anyone to copy me and for Mm. this to come out, um, you know, on the day that the product is ready. But as you said, there's big risk in that as well.
1: The day they turn up in some famous fast fashion store will be the day I'm like oh my god yeah you know like it used to happen with my shining armor our Irish champion fast fashion store um was copying Bando products and different things and they were all watching me and I was like oh my god I go you know but it's but I was so and the thing about it is I have small quantities and I change and move on yeah you know I'm not going to keep a style for 10 years well I might do but you know there's just something special in limited quantities and then they sell and then we move on and maybe there's some styles that I keep but a lot of them I don't see the pink bow in two years time still you know it's having a moment let it have its moment let it shine but it's important to move on
0: absolutely but you know maybe in 10, 20 years time, like we've seen with uh, all of the major luxury brands. Look at the saddlebag from Dior, for example, mm. that is now one of the biggest selling handbags. And it's just a reinvention of that same mm. design that we saw 15, 20 years ago on Sex and the City.
1: And a bow shoe is not necessarily orig- like original, original, original. It's not my original idea, you know, it's lots of bow beau- shoes out there, but it's, it is, it's the story and brand and it's it's that as yeah. well. Like um, Nikki, if
0: I was to ask you about the metaverse, it's been a big topic. So today it's actually Actually, we're recording on the 29th of March, so almost uh, a month before your episode goes live. It's Metaverse Fashion Week this week, and I've been jumping in and out of events to see what our brand's doing, what are the different concepts that are there. Are you looking at digitalizing your fashion, having Nicky Hoin shoes available to wear in the Metaverse, for example, or even having uh, virtual studios for people to have more interaction with your designs?
1: I would absolutely love to do that. I think it's something that I suppose it's budgets and it's understanding and it's that for you're going to, it's going to cost me a lot of money as a first in player. It's not something that I'm currently doing, but it is absolutely like 2024. I'm a big believer in the metaverse and I think it's a no brainer. I don't really get why people are like, oh, my goodness, what is this thing? And oh, more more online. But it's how I explain it to people is, you know, I remember being a kid sitting in front of a PC reading encyclopedias, book like, you know, (laughs) I remember reading about like Brad Pitt and like different things. And then now we have the two way where we can talk. But like, imagine if I was sitting in the room with you, we still and we can talk and we're at a board table or like I can go to the Chanel show. This is
0: like. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, it democratizes so many things. Yeah. Every revolution of the internet does. Yeah. The only issue I see with this next kind of transformation is that mm. people are being left behind. So, although it makes so many things more accessible, if people don't know how to access the technology, mm-hmm. then we're not actually making things more accessible, right? Mm. So I do, I'm a big advocate for um, digital literacy mm. and making sure that people are yeah. brought along on this journey. You know, we don't want to lose people at every every step because it moves so fast now that we'd be leaving behind such a big chunk of the world's population. Yeah,
1: it's just a piece, it's a piece of work I need to do. But I think this year I'm kind of focused on getting my ducks in a row with all this kind of like inventory and storytelling and I absolutely am mad to get in the metaverse and I can totally see it. But I'm probably not sure how to go about it. I suppose, as you know, can Shopify please create or Facebook or Instagram just please create Metaverse and I can just plug in myself and get our shoes uploaded into it. (laughs) You know, it's not it will be. I'm sure in five years time, that's how it will work. You just like log in and sign up and there you are. And it just does it for you. But more and more, we're going to see it like that
0: But today. I mean, the very easy steps, Um, it's not actually launching a collection online, it's creating a filter, right? Creating filters, whether you just launch them in Snap or in Instagram, Mm -hmm. where your customers are already existing today so that they can do a little virtual try on using their phone. They don't need goggles, they don't need any additional technology, small steps like that. And actually, we're getting closer to it becoming cheap and easy to create as well.
1: It's such a no brainer, like such a no brainer. It is. Yeah. Um, Nikki, in terms
0: of what's next for you and for your brand, can you give us some insights into what's happening the next days, weeks, perhaps some things that are happening already between now and going live?
1: So there's some things that are not confirmed yet that I'd love to be able to tell you, but I would hope to have some pop-ups and retails this summer um, and definitely end of the year. But I can announce, which I can is is embargoed at the moment. But I am actually nominated for two Drapers Footwear Awards. So, on my Fantastic. vision board in Kilkenny. When I sat down in COVID in 2020, I did up a vision board of like what you know, and I had all like the swatches for that for those first six handbags and the swatches for the shoes. But I had all of the magazines I wanted to be in. But I had Draper's Footwear Awards 2022. Now, they didn't do them last. They didn't do them last year, I don't think. But um, Draper's Footwear Awards 2022, and I had Brand Thomas Create. And I am nominated for two for best new brand and footwear designer of the year. Like unbelievable. Incredible. Un- like mind blowing. I actually, it's very hard to, you're one of the first people like that I've told because I'm not allowed to say I'm honored. Say it <laughs> yeah. But on insane, like insane, like and, and the opportunities, this is the thing about awards, um, the opportunities that are created from you know that PR and that recognition I think it's not about like a shiny award it's it's about the opportunity and you know is Selfridge is going to come looking at me or is you know what will will I be able to do some press over here or you know will who knows what will happen hopefully no one will rip off my designs but uh... (laughs) no and you know what I always say in the creative space if we're
0: too protective and we're too worried about people copying our designs we won't even put it out there to begin with and what's the fun in that no one can enjoy it um of course these things happen and you know trademark IP you have to put those things in place as much as you can to protect your brand and your products and creations but um any designers that get too caught up in the protecting and not letting people see what they've created in the end it's a it's like a lose-lose you know
1: yeah
0: yeah I wanted to ask you one last question Nikki if there's one skill that you could recommend industry insiders to start working on today what would it be?
1: I think what I talk to a lot of kind of startups and who ask me for advice, and I always am like, just go for it, you know, don't care what anyone else thinks. So, and well, the one thing I've realized is like a lot of people don't have a plan. Yeah. I didn't have a plan in my shilling armor, I just kind of rolled it. And sometimes I get kind of, I even feel now like, oh, what am I doing next year? What am I doing in yeah. five years? Like a plan, a budget and a plan. Is, <laughs> you would think like people, are, I'm starting a business and that they will put a plan together, you know, marketing plan, resource plan. The resource plan being like, what do I need? What are the people like? If things go crazy, have you got roles and departments that you need, or are you good at finance? Do you need a, a financial controller? Do you need an accountant? Do, you know the like the amount of people who don't actually have a plan. Sit down, and they're like, what is a yeah. plan? What do I do? I'm like a business plan. Download one off the internet and fill yeah. it. You might never finish it. It might. It will. It will one thousand percent change your business will not look like what you planned it to look like, but, uh, and a, and a, and a budget, like know your margin margin is the most important. If if, you know, I talked to him like your margins, you know what margin is. And we don't know what margin is like margin is the most important thing.
0: Really good advice make that plan and the questions that you'll have to ask yourself in making that plan will change your business and as you said you might not stick to that plan but at least you've got one try and stick to it as much as you can because it's it's going to change the way you work and from all my years working with major luxury brands also you know working at google these companies have plans they have one week plans one month plans quarterly plans yearly plans five year ten-year. um alibaba is famous for having its 99 year plan so make those plans, create the vision and you can definitely surprise yourself and what you can achieve. And it seems that's exactly what you've done. It keeps you on the right road. Yeah. Fantastic. Nikki, thank you so much. I've learned so much. I had so many questions that I've wanted to ask you for a long time as well that I've managed to get in there. So I'm absolutely delighted to have learned so much about you and your journey and how you built this brand. I cannot wait to see what you do next and where you go. I will see you in the metaverse for sure, but I'm imagining more product categories, more styles and just yeah so many different things coming for you that I, I can't wait to continue to be part of your growing community
1: thank you so much for having me I'm absolutely just honoured to have been on the podcast it's, it's such a cool podcast congratulations well done you
0: thank you well you know what we have to support each other as uh, Irish uh, business entrepreneurs especially absolutely. in the, the tech and digital spaces there are not so many of us but we're all able to do the same thing and it's just to have fun and create I think cool experiences and things that make people happy yeah. and smile and bring more joy to the world so we need more of that
1: it's all by having fun
0: absolutely it's all very fun it is indeed thank you for listening to tech powered luxury your weekly podcast on all things luxury and tech if you have enjoyed this episode make sure to subscribe and follow tech powered luxury on instagram tiktok snap twitter linkedin or sign up to our weekly newsletter we'd love to hear from you if you have any ideas questions or would like to join us as a guest